Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are Ahead of this weekend's NFL Draft, who are the teams to watch for through all seven rounds? Plus, after one month into the MLB season, we over- and underreact to the teams who are succeeding and failing, and a preview of the season finale for Monster Energy Supercross. It's episode 22 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Live coming at you on Thursday, April 29, 2021, episode 22 of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for tuning in. I apologize for a little bit of a delay, and if I don't have any kind of energy, I actually just got my first COVID vaccine dose yesterday. And so the arm's a little bit sore. I've been dealing with a little bit of side effects, but things are getting better. They only say that it's going to be for a day. So I'm definitely feeling a whole lot better than I was earlier, and the Pfizer is working. I call it Pfizer. I know it's Pfizer, but that's just my way. And it's actually good that I was able to sort of relax and let the vaccine go through because there's an NFL draft going on tonight. So it's the perfect, perfect program to just sit if you're feeling a little ill. And obviously, the first round will be complete by the time this episode is released so it will be there there might be questions already answered and already talked about but i will have to say this may be the most unpredictable hype for a draft in a long time this is this is one of those drafts where almost every scenario is on the table i mean look at just what happened today aaron rodgers said He doesn't want to stick around with the Packers. We're seeing the odds increase for the Patriots to land Justin Fields. We are seeing so many options. And I think this draft is going to answer a lot of questions about the team's impending futures. And the first team I really want to look out for, obviously I talked about them last week, but it's San Francisco. The 49ers, obviously they got the third pick. I mentioned it. It's really the first domino to fall. Once we see what San Francisco does... Then we're going to get a real grasp on what's going to happen in the rest of the first round. And we're hearing reports from Adam Schefter saying San Fran knows who they're going to take. And it's kind of weird that all signs were pointing to Mac Jones. And then you see Tom McShay from ESPN say that they're going to take Trey Lance. I mean, I, I talked about it last week. I mean, the signs should point to Mac Jones. And if you're really ready to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo... This is your most established quarterback to get in the game now. If you want him to get reps, you do it with Mac Jones. Jones is your win-now quarterback to compete with Jimmy Garoppolo if he does stay. This is all pending that Garoppolo is staying with the 49ers. And even Kyle Shanahan didn't commit to Jimmy G. But not only is it the number three pick, but they've got nine total picks 
They've got three in the fifth round. I really want to watch for this weekend and what they do to maybe try and get back to that Super Bowl team because they did deal with a lot of injuries and they've still got a ton of great pieces like Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, obviously. I think maybe they could use an extra wide receiver, maybe just to take some of the pressure off of Kittle and then just get a development. I think also a D lineman would help because remember how the 49ers were able to get to the Super Bowl against Kansas City a few years ago is they had a strong defensive line. They had DeForest Buckner, D. Ford, Nick Bosa, and uh, Nick Armstead. That that was it. Armstead was the last one. And that's really the, the big thing is just getting that fourth lineman because obviously Buckner is in Indianapolis right now. So you got to get someone else to pair with the other three. And then lastly, I would say maybe getting a defensive back or a safety because if the plan is not to re-sign Richard Sherman, then it's a, it's a draft need. It's definitely a draft need. And look at what happened in 2020. They were tied for second to last in turnover margin. And having a great defensive back or a safety you can really develop is going to be absolutely huge for the 49ers. But I'm really very curious. The 49ers might be the most interesting case to see in this entire NFL draft through all 32 teams. Now, I had mentioned them really briefly, but Green Bay, Green Bay Packers, what are they going to do? Because obviously we heard Aaron Rodgers does not want to return in 2021. And this is after a few days ago where the GM Brian Gutenkunst said Rodgers is the quarterback for the foreseeable future. And we've even heard reports that uh, the 49ers tried to get a trade, but the Packers said no. So it could be one of those Rodgers forcing his way out. But, you know, they've got 10 picks in total, two in the fourth round, in the fifth round, and in the sixth round. Maybe, maybe they can turn the corner. I highly doubt it, but I think finally drafting a wide receiver will at least get you on his good side. We'll get you, Aaron Rodgers, on his good side. And it's really more for depth, like I said, because I like the receiving core. I like Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scanling, St. Brown, Robert Tonyan at tight end. I, I really do like that core, and then maybe just getting a young guy to really develop into maybe possibly a number two helping out uh, Devontae Adams. And I would also say the depth should be on the offensive and defensive line. That's really going to be the biggest thing for the Packers. And this is all this is all pending that Rodgers will stay the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. I mean, like we said, he has told people within Green Bay, within the organization he wants out, but will the Packers be willing to let him go, to give him away? I don't know if they're one to do that because Aaron Rodgers is a future Hall of Famer. In my eyes, a top 10 quarterback of all time. And if if you're going to give him away, you got to make sure you're getting a ton of pieces back. You know, this can't just be get him for a couple of picks. You got to get maybe nothing but the kitchen sink for Green Bay. So I would say outside the 49ers, Green Bay after today, after hearing what Aaron Rodgers said, is going to be the second most curious team in this entire draft. and But I would put at number three, 
is the Atlanta Falcons because they've been making noise lately. I mean, we found out a few days ago that Atlanta was shopping Julio Jones. I mean, that personally, that would be a huge mistake. You've got a game-changing wide receiver that only come around every once in a while. And the way that their fourth overall pick, like I mentioned last week, it should be Kyle Pitts. You put Jones Pitts right there with Calvin Ridley. That's a fearsome threesome for Atlanta. And you got to remember in 2020 that their offensive game was fine. I mean, they were fourth in pass yards per game. So we know we have the confidence in Matt Ryan. But they're 27th in rush yards per game in 2020. So that's obviously need number one is your running back. Because you experimented with Todd Gurley. He's gone. Then you had Mike Davis. Is he your primary running back? Probably not. So getting a running back would be huge. And then I'd also say defensive back. They gotta get some pass defense. They had the worst pass defense a year ago. And they were the fourth worst defense overall. So with all nine of their picks, they should be defensive heavy in those picks. Real defensive heavy. But that's what I'm going to watch for in Atlanta. That they should keep Julio Jones and load up on their defense. And then one last team I want to keep my eyes on is... I would say the most intriguing AFC team right now, and that's the Steelers. I'd say the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, if you blinked, you'll see how dangerous that AFC North division really is. When you have Cleveland on the rise, an established Baltimore team, and a Pittsburgh team that many were saying, okay, they could go undefeated, and then they completely blew things. Totally blew things. So they've got eight total picks. I'm expecting them to really trade for more. But it's obvious what Pittsburgh needs right now, and that's a running back. They're not They're not getting James Conner back. I don't think Betty Snell is your answer. So when you have that 24th overall pick, I think you either go with Travis Etienne from Clemson or Najee Harris from Alabama. I think those are your two options at running back. And... You know, I could totally expect to see Pittsburgh be the first team to take a running back because we're seeing in the first round, we've got quarterbacks, wide receivers, O-linemen. But I think the first running back could be taken by Pittsburgh. And I think ETN, he's a great downhill runner. I mean, he was a great support for Clemson. And Najee Harris, I mean, what can you say about this Alabama team a year ago? That's going to be absolutely big. And then the last thing I think they need is just another body on the D-line. I think they need another D-line body, need to get another linebacker to help out T.J. Watt. And depending on if you're not going to re-sign Alejandro Villanueva, then you need an offensive lineman. That's going to be really the big priorities for the Pittsburgh Steelers to really keep pace in that AFC North. Because when you looked at the teams in 2020, many could argue that they were the third best team, despite their record. The third best team behind Baltimore and Cleveland. But it's a good thing the draft is going to happen literally hours from now, and it will already have passed once this episode airs, because there are a ton of questions that will be answered in the NFL draft this weekend. on 
on now to the MLB, and we're just about to hit the one-month mark in the early season so far. And really, we're going to break this down division by division. We're going to see who's the division leaders, who's maybe the shocking points. And basically, it's an over and under reaction segment, which is the subject, once again, of our segment known as Hot Takes. Oh, hot, 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 hot. So let's go again, division by division. We'll start in the AL East, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but I would say the Red Sox being in first place right now is a little bit of an overreaction because let's look at the numbers that they're putting up. A league-leading 272 batting average, basically almost 220 hits, and the fourth-best RBIs at 107. I think that offense will probably cool itself down. You know, they're really being led by Martinez, Bogarts, Vasquez, Devers. Uh, But we're seeing guys like Christian Arroyo, Hunter Renfro, Marvin Gonzalez really make a big impact in their offense. And I think that's a little bit of an overreaction. Uh, But to see the Red Sox in first place after being in the cellar a year ago is absolutely great. They're pitching, though, like I continue to say in our Let's Get Local. It's not quite a top-tier rotation, and we'll get into them a little bit more uh, in our Let's Get Local segment. But I would just say offense probably is going to cool itself off, and the pitching not quite where you want to be if you want to be at the top in a World Series contender. But obviously the biggest story has been the Yankees being in last place, and I would say, you know, it, it was funny because a couple of weeks ago I said, oh, the Yankees are going to turn this around, no problem. But just looking at the way they perform, being in last, this is a little bit of an underreaction, I would say. I mean, look look at what their offense is doing right now. They've got the third worst batting average at 210. And there's only two players in their regular lineup that are hitting over 270. And look at some of the key players that they have in their lineup. Giancarlo Stanton, 205 average. Aaron Judge, 263. DJ LeMahieu, 262. Gary Sanchez, 182. Okay? That's not the lineup that you're looking for. That is not the lineup you're looking for when those are your top four hitters, basically, in that lineup. That is ginormous that the Yankees are struggling like this. Now, could they turn it around? Maybe. But when you have guys like Giancarlo Stan, Aaron Judge, they are a boomer bust hitter where if they're not hitting home runs, they're striking out. There's no in-between. There's really no in-between. It's either a strike them out or hitting a home run. And not only that, but look at the pitching. Look at the pitching like I mentioned weeks ago. No other starter besides Garrett Cole are pitching well. I think I saw that Garrett Cole had like a 1.5 ERA or something like that. And everyone else was over a 3.5. That's not the way your pitching should be. Not the way your pitching should be. Especially if you're trying to be World Series contenders. Like the Yankees are. Many were picking them as the favorites. And now look at them being in last place. So I could really see either either action happening. They continue to struggle or they really turn it around. Again, we're only talking one month into the season. So... We're not going to totally get sold on this. But moving on to 
the AL Central. Probably the most shocking team in first place right now, the Kansas City Royals. And when you look at their numbers, you know, they don't have eye-popping stats. And this, to me, is an, is an overreaction to see Kansas City in first place. I'm sorry, I got a ton of cousins out in the Kansas City area who are probably going to hate me for saying that statement. But, you know, their pitching isn't allowing the long ball. That's really the key that's helping them right now. They're the top 10 and fewest earned, earned runs allowed. And they're third in the league in home runs allowed. So, really, it's just... When you have a league that's as home run dominant as this era is, holding off the long ball and not letting that happen is big. Is big. Even one month into the season, it's big. Now, the offense at this moment, it's not really a high-level production lineup at this moment. I mean, you've got really only three everyday players who are hitting over 250. It's Whip Merrifield, Nicky Lopez, and Michael A. Taylor. So I think I think that the Royals are just really getting some some good luck games. They're getting some great pitching. I do expect the White Sox, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, to overtake and win this division. But hey, props to Kansas City for so far being at the top when a lot of people didn't even think they'd have a chance to even be anywhere in first place. Now, the other team making noise in that division are the Minnesota Twins, and it's all for the wrong reason. They've just had a ton of injuries, they've had a poor start, and I think they're right in between an over and under reaction. Because look at what they've done. They've lost 8 of their last 10. You got Miguel Sano, Max Kepler, and more who have been out. I mean, let's turn to Miguel Sano for a hot second. In 15 games, he's hitting 111 two home runs, four RBIs, and 20 strikeouts. That's in 15 games. So that's going to be something, that's going to be the key that Minnesota turns it around because they're going to live by the bat of Miguel Sano. I know they got a bunch of great options in Andrelton Simmons, Josh Donaldson, Buxton, just to name a few, Nelson Cruz, but Miguel Sano is your number one hitter. And if he's not hitting well, your offense is not hitting well. But oddly enough, it's not Sano that's been the big problem. Have you seen the bullpen numbers for all of their relievers? They've been really bad. For all relievers that have appeared in six or more games, their ERA is a 566. 566. That is a horrible, horrible ERA to have, especially especially in your bullpen. Because we have seen in years past, the bullpen is the absolute key if you want to go on a deep run, get some great pitching out of there. So Minnesota is going to have to turn this thing around in a hurry. Because, I mean, they were sitting at like eight or nine games under five hundred. You know, you you can have a, a poor start and still come back, but if you have a really poor start like the Twins have had, it might be hard to come back from. Now, in the AL West, obviously the story in baseball was Oakland, the Oakland Athletics, for the incredible streak that they were on. Let's just keep this in mind. They started 1-7, then they reeled off 13 straight wins, and they've won 14 of their last 16 games. 
And honestly, I really do think that this is an underreaction, and I think the Athletics are really someone to keep your eyes out on. I mean, they are similar to Kansas City, where the pitching isn't exactly where it is, offense isn't exactly where it is, but I mean, Matt Olson, and how about Jed Lowry? Shout out to Jed Lowry for making this big comeback here with Oakland. I think... Just the offense has to pick it up a little bit. The starters who aren't Sean Manea have to get a little bit better. But I think this is a perfectly capable team to maybe win this AOS over Houston, over the Angels, over Seattle. I think I could definitely see it. That's the big thing for me for Oakland is that it's an underreaction right now to see them in first place in the AOS. Now, changing leagues, we go to the NL East. And. I remember a couple weeks ago saying that all the teams really had chances to to be in first place. And I'm kind of surprised to see all the teams struggling right now. They're on the struggle bus right now. But obviously it's the Mets who's in first place at 9 and 10. And again, it's another sort of middle reaction sort of thing. Because on paper, this Mets team is your favorite. But look at what their top three pitchers have done. DeGrom, we obviously know, has been phenomenal. A point, oh, uh, a 0.51 ERA, 59 strikeouts in your first five starts, which, by the way, is tied with Nolan Ryan's 1979 record. And he just still needs run support. But look at Marcus Stroman and Tejon Walker. They both got sub-230 ERAs as well, so they're hanging around. I like... The Mets, that the potential they have. But the problem right now is that their offense isn't what it has been hyped up to be. I mean, their big acquisition, Francisco Lindor is only hitting 212. Pete Alonso is hitting 250. Really, your best hitter right now is Brandon Nimmo hitting 364. So that lineup is going to have to get better. It's going to have to get better because we know they have the pitching. We know DeGrom is always the tough luck pitcher. Because he never gets any run support. But he's going to have to start getting run support when you have a lineup that has this many weapons in it. So I'm sort of in the middle right now with the Mets. I think they're a middle reaction. And I still do think that they'll be able to find themselves in the playoffs one way or another. Now, moving on to the NL Central. The Milwaukee Brewers in the first place right now. I would say it's definitely an overreaction because I mean look at your five starters maybe six right now Corbin Burns who by the way did go on the injured list 153 ERA fourth in the league in strikeouts at 49 Brandon Woodruff 155 ERA Hauser 365 Peralta 245 Anderson 4.15 you got four of your five starters with tremendous ERAs at this moment but the problem is this lineup without Christian Yelich just does not have the same power. The same power or the same tenacity that they have when when your MVP is in there with Christian Yelich. I mean, they're batting 217, which is in the bottom 10 of the entire MLB. And they've struck out the second most times at 246. So for right now, it's an overreaction. If Christian Yelich comes back and this team continues to be successful, then I'll believe it. But for right now... And then finally, we go into the NL West. And 
Talk about a competitive division. Everyone except the Colorado Rockies are over 500, which is totally expected considering what the Rockies have done. Which, by the way, I will point this thing out. Madison Bumgarner, seven no-hit innings. He should be credited with a no-hitter. Just going to throw that out there. But now let's talk about really the top three teams. The Dodgers and the Giants right now are total underreactions to me. I mean, everyone expected the Dodgers to play well. But what about San Francisco? What about San Francisco right now? That is a big surprise. And I really think the way looking at this Giants team, they can compete with the Dodgers and with the Padres. They've got a great five, almost six-man rotation right now. Di Sclafani, 1-5 ERA. Johnny Cueto, 1.80. Kevin Gosman, 2.14. Sanchez, 2.22. And even Alex Wood, 0.75 and two starts. I mean, they're second in the MLB with a 2.93 ERA, and they're ahead of the Dodgers, but behind the Padres. I think this offense does have to get a little bit better, but Buster Posey and Evan Longoria are really turning back the clock for this Giants team, and I think one when everyone is... But really, looking at this Giants lineup, I do like them. Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, Mike Yastrzemski. I think when they're all hitting well, then this Giants team has a chance. I still like the Dodgers and the Padres to finish ahead of them, but really, you know, we're only talking one month into the MLB season. There's still plenty of things that can happen from now until September and October when the playoffs get underway. Moving on to our third topic, and we haven't really touched on Monster Energy Supercross since the Daytona round a couple weeks ago, but lo and behold, the finale is here. The 17th and final round from Salt Lake City, Utah for Monster Energy Supercross. It's been a very exciting season, and we'll dive into a preview of the final race of the 2021 Supercross season in our segment known as Rev It Up. So the point standings are broken down like this so far. We've got two guys who are still in contention to win this championship for the 450. you got Cooper Webb, who's on the Red Bull KTM. He's 22 points ahead of the Honda rider, Ken Roxon. And the scenarios in Salt Lake City are like this. Is that if Roxon wins, all Cooper Webb has to do is finish better than 19th place to clinch his second championship. And that, unless you have a catastrophic failure for Cooper Webb, he should get his second title. Now, I do remember when the very first Rev It Up segment came, I was totally off when saying that Cooper Webb wouldn't be able to compete this year in 2021 to get his second championship. But looking at just what he's done, he's totally got the drive to really just dominate the entire field. He wants to show that he is the best rider on the track. And ultimately, I think this title might be better than his first one in 2019 because he really showed himself to be an elite rider. This wasn't something completely of chance. And I'm very impressed on what Cooper Webb has done so far this year. But I will say... Kenny Roxon 
seeing this first Supercross title, he was in the prime position. He had the points lead, and it's almost like he basically let it slip through his fingers. I mean, the past two weeks, he's found himself on the dirt. He's crashed after winning the third race in Atlanta. And I don't know, just looking at him, he doesn't have that exact same drive that we saw in the beginning of the year, in the beginning of the season, when he was sweeping races in Indianapolis and just being super consistent. You know, we're seeing him get sixth place and ninth place and seventh place. And I don't know, part of it might have been that Cooper Webb got into his head. He was, he had made a couple of comments saying, you know, I feel comfortable I don't know about Ken, so, you know, maybe Cooper got into his head, but I'm still going to be a fan of Ken Roxon. I hope he does get a Supercross title before all is said and done. But, I mean, it, it is coming close. He's been in the 450 class now for, I want to say this is his seventh season. And, like I had mentioned, there are a ton. There were those massive injuries that he had. But... You know, I will give all credit to Cooper Webb on that 450 championship if, like I said, he doesn't have a catastrophic meltdown and totally, totally blow things with a just a major crash or something like that. But the 450 title isn't the only thing that is online. We got the 250s, which is basically known as kind of the minor leagues, basically. It's you ride the 250s before you get to the 450s. And both regionals seem really secured at this point, the East and the West. I mean, Monster Energy Star Yamaha could sweep both titles with Colt Nichols and Justin Cooper. Now, let me just give you a brief summary on the 250 West. Justin Cooper really didn't have this thing secured until... About a week ago when Cameron McAdoo from Monster Energy Pro Circuit Kawasaki had just a really bad stay in Atlanta. He finished 13th in the third race in Atlanta. He crashed numerous times and it just was not McAdoo's way. So Justin Cooper, he's in the same position sort of as Webb. He's got about a 20-point lead and he just can't do anything totally catastrophic to win this title to win his first 250 title now in the other region though for the 250 east same thing for for colt nichols he has been maybe the most consistent rider in all of supercross because he has not finished off the podium yet it's only been a first a second or a third he's won three times in these aid races i mean colt nichols just he had champion written all over him heading into this year so I am very impressed to see what the 250 guys have done but we will find out this Saturday in Salt Lake City Utah if we can see a couple championships be clinched For everyone in the Massachusetts area, it is time once again to get local, our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And I had mentioned briefly in our first segment about the NFL draft about what the Patriots might do if 
they'll take Justin Fields if he's available. But just really looking at New England, this might be maybe the most important draft in a long time for them. They've got 10 total picks. There's talks about moving up or moving down in the first round. And I mentioned Justin Fields, but I think Fields should be the target. Should be the first round target to develop in this system. Because when you signed Cam Newton, Cam Newton is pretty much the safety net. The safety net. Because you know what you're getting in Cam Newton. You know the kind of player that he is. He's been in your system for a year now. So he's your quarterback until Justin Fields is ready to develop into his own. That's really all it is. Because we're hearing a lot about Justin Fields and how he really needs a few more years to get used to NFL playbooks and scheming and all that. But I think the first round pick that the Patriots have should be on Justin Fields. Now, whether they fall to him at 15 or if they have to trade up to go get him, I think the Patriots are going to do anything they can to get Justin Fields. And maybe Trey Lance if he's available, maybe Mac Jones. But I ultimately think the quarterback they take is going to be Justin Fields. But you also got to remember, quarterback isn't the only position that they're looking for. They should be looking for a defensive back as well to maybe replace Stephon Gilmore if the Pats want to move on from him. Because we're hearing so many rumors about Stephon Gilmore being in trade talks. Being in trade talks. And if the Patriots are really ready to give him up. Because we Gilmore, first off, has been super, super humble about this. He's been committed to this Patriots organization since he signed his deal back in 2017, in 2017. And he has just been committed to this franchise. And he has even said himself he doesn't want to move on. But if you don't want to keep Gilmore, you should go after a cornerback. And not only that, but you should maybe look for safety as well. Get some kind of safety because you got to prepare for life after Devin McCourty. I don't know if you people know this, but Devin McCourty is going to be 34 in August. 34. That's normally when guys really start to decline. So getting a safety, either that, maybe they trust Kyle Duggar or Adrian Phillips, but maybe just getting an extra safety to develop would be absolutely huge. And then maybe just a wide receiver for the heck of it. You've already got a ton of weapons via free agency, but... Why not? Just get another wide receiver out there. But it will be very fascinating to see what the Patriots do once the weekend hits and the draft is all said and done. Now, a team that isn't going to the draft and are still playing right now are the Celtics. And right now, their injury woes have got them teetering on the edge of the play-in right now. I mean, they own the tiebreaker over the Heat. They're one back of the Hawks and two back of the Knicks. And really what I've seen basically from the past number of weeks, despite all the injuries, is that Rob Williams is proving to be a bigger factor than many expected at the beginning of the year. Absolutely huge. Because you got to remember, Rob Williams is like 6'8", 6'9". And he's your center, basically. He is your rim protector. That's going to be really something that he has to take into account himself, Rob Williams, is that... You're the center who's trying to to guard the paint, absolutely, and be your defensive. I really liked watching that game 
a couple of nights ago where he really was a, a big factor against Charlotte, you know, getting lobs. You could you could tell there was a different energy when Rob Williams was on the floor. And so really for the Celtics team, they've only got nine games left. But keep in mind the opponents that they've got. The Spurs, the Blazers, the Heat twice, the Bulls, and the Knicks still remain. Is that an easy schedule? Absolutely not. Can they make it through without getting into the play-in? I will say yes. I still... I still do expect them to avoid that plan. I think they'll get themselves healthy and they'll find themselves within that four, five, and six range. I don't think they'll get themselves into the into the play and they'll struggle that much. But you know, I have said in the past about, you know, being really excited about this team and then poof, they they knock things down really humbly is. So you know, you can't get your hopes up entirely, and you can't guarantee it. But let's just hope the Celtics can avoid that play-in scenario because when you're talking about, you know, two out of three or a single elimination, anything could happen. Literally anything can happen. Now, on the opposite side of the spectrum, the Red Sox, like I mentioned, are not struggling. They've had three straight wins, and I will say, this year, the or this past series, I should say, against the Mets, their past three wins have basically been pitching duels, and their pitching has really shown up. And they had two very impressive wins in New York against the Mets. I mean, Garrett Richards striking out 10, and Nick Pavetta out-pitching Jacob deGrom. Are you kidding me? I mean, that should give you some confidence in your pitching already. But... My confidence for this pitching is growing at a very slow pace. A very slow pace. Because I don't want to, you know, crown. Because remember, look at look at what uh, Nathan Avaldi did uh, a couple of games ago. When he struggles, who do you have to bail you out? Eduardo Rodriguez? But who else? There's still Garrett Richards. There's still Nick Pavetta. There's still Martin Perez. But they still struggle. They're not going to be this elite every single time. Uh, but we're going to see what they do against the Texas Rangers if they can continue to be on this hot start, which I'm just still baffled to see them in first place because, yeah, I expected them to succeed, but in the AL East lead, definitely did not expect it. But we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. You know, your season doesn't end in May. It ends in October, like I had said before. Now, speaking of playoff time, the Bruins are heading into their final playoff push, and they've really looked good. They'll be playing tonight against the Sabres, but they've won seven of their last nine games. They've got eight games left to possibly clinch and catch the top teams in that Eastern Division right now. I mean, look at the standings where they're at. One point behind the Islanders, five points behind the Penguins, and six points out in the Caps. If they really have a good stretch, then they can catch them. But... I still think they'll end up in that fourth seed in that Eastern Division. But really, it's all going to come down to that third and fourth line. Because we know the weapons that they have in number one and number two. But that third and fourth line is going to have to maintain the energy and the physicality, especially. That means we have to see guys like Charlie Coyle, Sean Corrales, Curtis Lazar, Connor Clifton, even Trent Frederick, who I had talked about with Alex Barth a few weeks ago about being the aggressor 
and imposing your will. That's going to be absolutely huge for this Bruins team. Is that if their third and fourth lines can keep up the energy from their first and second, then this is a team that could go on a run. But for right now, we'll just see the Bruins and the Celtics push for the playoffs. We'll see what the Patriots will do in the draft, and we'll see if the Red Sox can hang tight atop the AL East. Finally, to wrap up our show, we look at our LOL moment of the week. Now, I have this moment already set in stone, but I just want to give an honorable mention to Lamar Jackson. I mean, the story that just came out about a few days ago, he had offered a guy $100 to try and ID him. that, That was just really funny, but there was something that was not as good that happened in the NBA that just trumps Lamar Jackson offering $100 to figure out who he is. So this week's LOL moment of the week is going to Kevin Love. Now, if y'all have read the story, you should know that Kevin Love had an absolutely kind of a, a boneheaded, you know, head scratcher moment. The game is against the Raptors. It's Cavs-Raptors. And I believe it was Malachi Flynn for the Raptors who had put in a bucket, but Kevin Love was sort of pushed from behind. He got a little bit of a shove. He got a little bit of a shove. And he was just, he was looking for the foul. He was frustrated. And the ref passes him the ball, and all he does is swat it away. But Kevin Love forgot it was in play. Kevin Love, it was in play when you knocked it away, and that led to a three by Malachi Flynn. Come on, Kevin Love. Now, let's let's just keep this in mind. I call, I call him Kevin Tough Love just because of the career he's gone through. I mean, he basically put the Minnesota Timberwolves on the map in those early 2010s. I mean, getting 20 rebounds in a game, getting 30 rebounds in a game and then he finally goes to Cleveland he teams up with LeBron James and Kyrie Irving he gets himself a ring and lo and behold he's back to where he was back to square one doing the same thing but with Cleveland this time so it's just been a very difficult career for for love a recent stretch I should say He's always been hurt. He's only been in about a dozen games so far for Cleveland. And I'm still very surprised that he has not been traded by the Cavaliers. Now, to speak back on this situation in particular, I mean, if we're giving him the benefit of the doubt, players don't normally get the inbounds from where the ref was. So Love Love was standing out of bounds, but the ref was over by one of the benches. And they get that ball. Normally, in a case like that, that's when it's sort of like a dead ball. Stop. Everyone, regain yourself. We're just stopping just to get the ball. And normally, players just get it from the ref that's next to him, not cross court. So, 
it just it felt like a stoppage rather than a live ball. That's that's how I give Love the benefit of the doubt. But he did get benched for that fourth quarter by his coach, J.B. Bickerstaff, and he did apologize to everyone in the Cavs organization for that, just saying he blew a gasket and stuff like that. And that's why he's one of my favorites. That's why he was one of my favorites watching in the early 2010s. I mean, part of it also could just be the frustration of being in Cleveland for the past six years and finally wanting to move on. But, I mean, Kevin Love, props to him for coming out and owning it. But it was still pretty funny to see Cleveland. That basically was a 9, I think it was an 8-0, 9-0 run to end that third quarter after that. I'm not 100% sure exactly what the case was, but, oh, Kevin Love. You got to learn that even though you're on Cleveland, you got to keep your head in the game. Keep it in the game. And it was because you didn't keep your head in the game that lands you on this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. Make sure you're dropping those likes, those comments, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just tell the whole world, shut up and let me speak.